them poor. It's the Beer Geeks Radio Hour on WILK. Ah, taking in the sounds of New Jersey. Old dirty Jersey, baby. <laughs> uh, it's good to be back in the studio. And I have to compliment you guys. You had a very handsome sounding guest on the phone last week. And uh, mm, yeah. I have to find his number. Mm. He sounded wonderful. Very no. dulcet tones, very... No, it's subjective. I'm going to have to agree with Matt on that well, one. I'm going to just have to. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're down Freddie this week. He's at a wedding in New York, and uh, Billy is a victim of the Peach Fest, so uh, Peach apparently fell on top of him, and that's... Uh, is it James and the Giant Peach? Is that what that was? Those peaches will get you. Yeah, they'll get you yeah, every watch. time if you're not paying attention. So this week we're uh, celebrating things Jersey because we have the wonderful Carton Brewing Company from New Jersey on, uh, really doing a lot of crazy beers. We got a huge, huge loyal following that's just continually building, and they're kind of—I hate to like say that that's what you know the reason for it or anything is—but they're a very buzz brewery right now. A lot of people are flocking to and trying to get their stuff for a reason, not just because it's scarce or anything like that. Yeah, it's, I mean you. Um you have to have a good product in order to get that kind of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, attention. So uh, there's only so far you can go on. Uh, uh, yeah, on the, the buzz and the hype. Yeah. And then after a while, it's such a die down. But Carton is coming through, and that's why the buzz is continuing to build, because people hear about it. They're getting out there, which is nice if you're a local, uh, local listener. You could actually swing out there. It's about, what, two-hour drive? About it's, two hours. Yeah. yeah, just outside Sandy Hook, right before you kind of scoop up there. So it's a nice little drive out there. You can go visit the brewery and try a lot of these things, because we have a lot of beers to get through this week. So we're really showcasing a good chunk of the brewery, which is nice. For for you, if you're interested in the brewery, and bad for our livers, but uh, yeah. that's what we do here. It's uh, one of the things that we, you know, uh, losing a brain fart here. Nah, Jersey uh, will do that. Risk yeah. of the, whatever. <laughs> it's a problem you can have. Is oh, what I'm trying to get before at. I go too far. I grew up and I was born and raised in New Jersey, so when I make fun of it, I'm allowed to. It's kind of like that. I'm, I'm, I'm grandfathered into those. Jokes, yeah, but we're so. in Pennsylvania. It's kind of what we're known for too, isn't it? You know, yeah, but I'm allowed to. to do it. You know what I mean? You guys aren't. So. Well, all right, before we get into anything, let me get into a little bit of the beer news of what's happening. Uh, if you may have seen this on the, the interwebs this week, people were all abuzz about this. There's actually a Wheaty beer, uh, Wheaties beer coming out called Heffa Wheaties uh, with Fulton Beer Company. It's a collaboration they actually did with General Mills. They kind of came up with the idea to have a half of Bison, and they wanted to work with Wheaties for whatever reason they wanted to experiment with it. Uh, that's going to be coming out later this month, and it's going to be only available in Minneapolis, Minnesota, so you know it's going to be one you're going to hear people buzzing about because it's very limited, and it got a lot of hype as soon as it was announced. It's such a bizarre combination. Yeah. Like Honestly, like the whole band thing, I get it. Especially smaller bands. I mean, you have bigger bands like Iron Maiden, the whole nine. That, you know, you're like, okay, but Wheaties? I, I'm assuming it was just kind of I don't want to say cashing because I don't want to sound like I'm pooping on the brewers, but it's just, yeah. you know, you're, you're going after, you're trying to do a wheat beer and you just decide, well, we'll throw Wheaties in there. Yeah. It's wheat. It's a little too on the nose, like you couldn't think of anything more inventive. Yeah, like, I don't know. We'll see yeah. how, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it's to see how the beer is and take it from there. But you're going to see a lot about it as it's, it's as it's released because it's only in one market. So you're going to see people scrambling for that because that's just the name of the game right now. All I know is I want a cookie crisp beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. Delicious. <laughs> Let's see how far that one would go. But, who would who would be on the cover? Like Wheaties, they always had the athletes. Like who would they put oh. on the can? Kylie Jenner. Is my mic done? No. <laughs> uh, yes, it see. is, Ed. I'm, <laughs> trying to, I'm trying to think. Who's the one of the greatest drunken athletes like, in the history of mankind? I'm trying to. Oh, think. Wade, Bo- the Giant. Wade Boggs, Andre, Andre the Giant, Wade Boggs. Wade there we go. Bob, we there we go. There we go. Right there. We, we're all right. You can send the checks to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now, the other thing that you might have seen on uh, coming all around the internet was Sun King Brewing Company. They're in Indianapolis. Uh, they. Uh, the explanation behind this is funnier than kind of even what happened, but basically they had 20,000 cans of their 
Wemax Scottish Ale uh, released, and the little date stamper you see on the bottom of cans is always like some breweries will put little funny things in their Oscar Blues as one of them. Some of them will put little funny sayings. Well, what they did. Uh, they put Tom Brady sucks on the bottom of 20,000 cans. Now, they're from Indianapolis, so if you are a football, you, you, you're into football, you know what that means, why. Uh, but what their explanation behind it kind of made them backpedal a little bit and kind of took away a little because they, they basically said it was a quote-unquote prank by the person running the date stamper for the cans. Those rogue canners, man. Yeah. You know, so, <laughs> the guy went rogue on them. I mean, can you imagine if that really started happening more often, like the things that would be thrown on cans? Like 20000 of a as a prank and no one knows. Like, just own it. Like, And people yeah. will respect it so much more. Like, look, just own it. That No one's going to do anything. I mean, it's funny. It's scientific fact, so, I mean, I don't know why they wouldn't <laughs> own it. But. <laughs> All right, we'll get into some new beers. Uh, now, our, our lovely friend George is a big Genesee fan still. Oh, yeah. And uh, Genesee has been actually, if you haven't been paying attention, they've been coming out with a couple different beers now. They have another one they just announced they've been coming out with, which is a Belgian white ale Ooh. is going to be released now. So, I mean, Genesee has, I think, a double black, a double black yeah, a scotch ale. My buddy drank it last okay, yeah. actually. Yeah, so they're, they're, like, coming through with a lot of stuff, and, like, they're just really, and it's, it's a quiet unveiling of these things. There's not a lot of hoopla around it. They're just slowly leaking them out, but you can find them pretty much everywhere. It's it's kind of cool because you have all these uh, breweries, you know, like AB InBev or Miller Coors. They try to make these, like, I, dude bro kind of beers where they're like, and this, the, weird names, and they're trying to entice people with uh, labeling and stuff like that to try to get into the craft market. Genesee's like, screw it. How about we just make good beer? Yeah. And people will enjoy it. So you gotta you gotta be like, hey man, awesome. And, and be on the lookout for the new uh, Miller Dude Bro line of beers. That will be- <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that already their whole line? I would just love to see that. Like that's what they're calling. They actually call it the Dude Bro line. <laughs> and they bring back. Oh no, that, who's Spud McKay? That was Budweiser, wasn't it? I think no, so. Yeah, they yes. bring back Spuds. That'd be awesome. All right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, and Toolbox Brewing Company out in California, a very well-known brewery. They have a new one coming out called Autumn Blossom, which is a sour brewed with blood oranges. Which sounds very interesting, and I see how they do with that one. And uh, Abita, a brewing a brewery that we all know and love, uh, they have a Bourbon Street line. They have coming out a coffee stout that has been aged in bourbon barrels, about ten percent ABV. That's another one coming out. There's a lot of. This is going to be the time where you start to see a lot of new beers for those who aren't you know in the industry or whatnot. Uh, fall into winter, like before the end of the year, is the big time for all the beers that come off of the brewery. This is when you see like short shelves just flooded because everyone's unveiling their pumpkin, their fall. Yeah, they get into the winter and all your that. Bigger beers in the summer, yeah. you can get your double IP stuff like that. But when you start throwing stuff in barrels, yeah. you get dark beer. You're not really going to. Th- this is when it's basically 90. this is the time when most of the breweries make their money. Like yeah. th- these next couple months is when they have a lot of beers coming down the pipeline. All right, and speaking of beers. We uh, already have enjoyed some Digger from Carton Brewing Company, which is a clam ale brewed with lemongrass. You might hear that and say, that sounds kind of weird. Uh, the brewery does a lot of cool things with food. Like that's what we'll get into that during the interview, but they really have a lot of emphasis with those things. And it was actually more like a goza, had a little bit of saltiness, but it was a clam, clam ale with lemongrass, and it was 3.8% ABV. And what the cool part about that beer is that it's actually, like, they go out of the way to say it's not a goza. The reason why you get, like, a lot of goza-type flavors out of it is if you've ever had um, bread or bagels or anything like that mm-hmm. from right on the Jersey Shore, there's so much salinity in the water. What they did was they just didn't filter that out, and they kept, left, kept that natural salinity in there to kind of get that little semi-goza kind of feel yeah. going on, which is pretty pretty cool. Oh, yeah, it's really... And I mean, it's, when I say that, it's, it's definitely, for those who are really into that style, it's not nearly as salty 
as you would think a gosa yeah. is. Like it's just very very subtle in the background. So it just kind of acts like a, a flavor profile note. All right, so now we are having the boat beer, which is the the beer the brewery really got themselves going with a lot of this. It's a it's their session ale, four point two percent, thirty five IBU. Drinks like a much higher IBU. Like it has that really nice uh, IPA feel to it, but it's very sessionable. Like this is one of, and you see it's in a lot of write ups on session beers and stuff as being one of the best. Having one sip, you can kind of tell that's very true. Yeah, it's super. My my experience with um with um carton is super well made, super clean beers. I mean, this is yeah. I don't want to say flawless. I wouldn't say any beer is flawless. I don't know why. I can but, find one if you give me enough. <laughs> but, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful beer. Drinks infinitely easy. And uh, I'm not a huge person with that uh, bitter kind of finish, and this just works for me, though. Yeah, it, it, it's nice because it's, it's, uh, it's there, but it's a flash and doesn't overpower. It doesn't give you that bitter beer feel or anything. It's just really nicely balanced but comes through very sessionable and, like, super easy drinking. What are you thinking, Georgie boy? It's definitely it's <laughs> caught me on the spot there. No, it's it's a great beer. Uh, when I actually went out there for the first time earlier this year, uh, this was one of the first ones that I actually got to pick up because they had a limit with uh, the four packs that you could buy, and uh, they were out of O-Dub, But I picked up Boat, and it was fantastic. Yeah, this is uh, oh yeah, this is your first time having these. Yes, what are you is. thinking of this? This is very good. I wish this beer would come to the area. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, they're, they're a short two-hour drive from our immediate area, and like depending on where you're at, if you're closer to Jersey, it's even you know shorter of a drive. They do do. I know they di- distribute throughout New Jersey, and I believe I'm almost positive because I know they're doing. I believe a release there at um, Freebridge Wine and Spirits in, in uh, Phillipsburg, New Jersey, which is only 45 minutes away. So. There you go. No excuses. Right over the border yes. from Easton, right? Yep. And speaking of no excuses, uh, we're going to take a break because our lovely friend Augie Carton from Carton Brewing is on the phone. So when we get back, we're going to jump into that interview and discuss even more about this phenomenal brewery. Stay tuned to the Beer Geeks, WIOK. For most companies, internet speeds are a game of chance. Like the phone company offering up to internet speeds. Chances are up to means that speed is not available depending on your location. With Comcast Business, your business's internet connection speed isn't left to chance. That's because the speeds we offer are available across our entire network. No games, no chance. Game over. So call 866-704-8952 and get 25 megabit internet for $69.95 a month. Not up to the speed you pay for, all the speed you pay for. Comcast Business. Built for business. Offer ends September 30th, 2015. Restrictions apply. New business customers only. Two-year contract required. Early termination fees apply. Equipment taxes and fees extra and subject to change. Requires subscription to business voice and TV services. Call for details. Caring for a loved one is a personal decision. Choose care that's personal. You know, Renee, when we partnered to bring personal home health care to NEPA, I really think it was because of the attention to detail and can-do attitude you brought to the patients of my facilities. Thanks, Mike. That means a lot to hear. As a nurse and case manager at other companies, I kept meeting resistance to provide what patients, and just as importantly, their doctors wanted in a home health provider. I thought that we could provide a more personal level of care to those we serve, and that's exactly what we do at Personal Home Health Care every day. Don't compromise. Personalize the care your loved ones need to enjoy a better quality of life at home. 
Visit us at personalhhc.com. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Monday. Workday, play day, every day. Monday. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Monday. Save every day at Dixon City Hyundai. It's hot, but the deals just got even hotter at Dixon City Hyundai. 2016 Elantras lease for only $119 a month or buy for $14,995. Test drive any new Hyundai and register to win a 2016 Elantra lease. Drawing will be held on September 1st at Dixon City. 2015 Sonatas lease for only $139 a month. Save up to $6,000. And zero down delivers on all new Hyundais. And America's best warranty, 10 years, 100,000 mile limited powertrain and Hyundai Assurance. Test drive any new Hyundai and register to win a 2016 Elantra release. Drawing will be held on September 1st at Dixon City. Save every day at Dixon City Hyundai. 81 to exit 191A just past the Viewmont Mall on the left. For details visit DixonCityHyundai.com or call 1-800-HYUNDAI. 2016 Elantra stock K231 price includes all release including military stock number J126-7500 off all leases 36 months 12,000 miles per year 1999 do it signing plus tax and tags. drumming in here with some Lifetime, another great Jersey band. Ah. Ah, nothing like Jersey on a Sunday. <laughs> I can smell the seagulls from here. <laughs> well, let's keep diving into all things Jersey. And right now we have on the phone with us the co-founder, the wonderful Mr. Augie Carton from Carton Brewing Company. Augie, how you doing today, bud? Very well. How are you? Uh, we're doing great. We're having some of your beer. That makes everyone happy. Right on, right on. What do you guys have? <laughs> right now we have some O-Dub. We already dug into some Digger and Boat, because we have a lot of your beer to dig through. So, And uh, what do they say? You said Digger, Boat? We have Digger, O-Dub. Boat, and we have O-Dub right now in our glasses. That's why I figure we can start this out with talking to you about a little bit of O-Dub. That's kind of the one that everyone's a hubbub about with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so how did like the, the idea behind this now you guys are very like you love that ipa style so was this something you know as far as formulating the recipe what were you kind of going for when you're putting this together it's actually funny uh o-dub's a mistake <laughs> um we were so i was working on boat with my old brew partner jesse who founded the brew and it's so it's it's all easier if we just put boat in a little context so boat beer five years ago so yesterday was our fourth anniversary so five years ago while we were putting the brew together in the plan there wasn't such a thing as a session ipa they just didn't exist Mm -hmm. and we were trying to solve for a 4.2 beer that satisfied our love for double ipas not single ipas why i still call boat you know just a session ale a super happy session ale even though there is now a title of um you know session ipas because i think most session ipas are trying to be small versions of ipas where boat wanted to be a small version of a double so to solve those problems we were fooling around with everything literally the water the yeast the hops the combination of hops the when hops went in from 60 down to a second dry hop in a whirlpool, I mean, dry hopping in a hop cannon. So you worked it all then? Yeah, we were playing with the whole thing because we wanted it to be everything while still being very crushable and very simple, you know, simple palate. So we wanted some real bitterness. So we ended up on Kolsch yeast, which, um, which stays in suspension. It doesn't flock very well, and it adds a kind of dynamic different bitterness to the hop bitterness. 
So you can have a layer of bitterness without having to go so far on the hop bitterness that it was unpleasant. I mean, both a very bitter beer, but it's not as bitter as a hop extract oil mm-hmm. heavy beer would. So in one of those things, we said, all right, let's just double check what happens if we throw Chico in it. So we threw, you know, California ale yeast, Chico yeast mm-hmm. into what was very close to the final boat recipe malts and hop wise and loved it, but it was a classic American IPA, which wasn't what we were trying to make, right? We were trying to make a very small version of a double. So it got filed under, let's come back to this one once we've nailed down boat. So once we nailed down boat, we go back to boat, take it up to around five and a half, six percent, and that starts the process that becomes O-Dub. It gets finished, the hop schedule is slightly different. Um, there's a couple more hops in O-Dub than there are in Boat. But, uh, but O-Dub was Chico yeast. We, we took it all the way up to about 9%. That was too boozy, not super drinkable. So then we ended up down at 7.8, and that's right where you can drink way too many of them. Your wife wants to fight with you. Everything's perfect <laughs> about it. But it's still got a good mouthfeel, and it, it's... It tempers the hops and the sweetness all together. It gets rich, but stays drinkable. So O-Dub literally came out of what happens to the boat recipe if we, um, what happens to the boat recipe if we use Chico yeast, and that started a path that took it up to O-Dub. So I kind of think of them as big and little brother, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, that, that, and the thing, too, is as you're explaining this, like, knowing your background of being in food, you can see that coming through. Even as you're explaining this, like, experimenting so much like a chef would in the kitchen kind of yeah. really comes through. Like, wh- where did that initial passion for you come for, like, doing everything with the food blogging and getting into that world? So, really, it's my dad. Um, it's, very, it's very proud. People ask me, what, the answer to that question, if we're in the brewery, I'd like to show you. In 1982, a guy named Jimmy Robertson wrote a book called The Great American Beer Book. And this is at a time when the Great American Beers were regional lagers, heritage beers, if you will. Mm -hmm. And my father and Jimmy tasted 700 beers together. The opening page of Jimmy's Beer Book thanks my mother, father, and a bunch of the friends of, you know, parents of my friends growing up. Because it was just, it was just standard in our house that what these guys did, they were, they were food geeks. But it's always kind of been centered in my house that beer is part of food, right? Just yeah. they, they were wine geeks on Tuesdays and beer geeks on Thursdays. There, was, there wasn't this separation that somehow came out of, you know, that was somehow forced on it. It was if you were in a flavor, if you were a foodie, if you wanted to eat and taste, that's what they did. I fondly remember my dad coming home one day when I was about eight with 20 one-pound lobsters I'd never eaten a lobster, and my dad had never cooked a lobster. He just decided that day he was going to learn to cook lobsters. And he cooked 20 lobsters one at a time until he got it right. <laughs> wow. And, you know, and that's the house I grew up in. One of my all-time favorite stories, I don't know if you guys are wine geeks, but Sauterne is this really hard-to-make wine, so it costs a lot of money. I was very much at liberty to take wine out of my dad's cellar my whole life. And one day when I was about 15, my father said to me, he's like, have you been drinking wine from the cellar? I was like, yep. <laughs> and he's like, are you drinking the yellow wine from the upper right corner? And I had a new girlfriend named Michelle. 
and I said, yeah, that's Michelle's favorite. It's really amazing. It tastes like almonds, and it's really sweet. And it was literally, my dad had six of these. They were the cherished bottles. He somehow got them 15 years before. He'd never touched them, and I drank through three before he caught me. And so that, that was the only limitation I ever had on, on dad's beers or cellar was I was not to touch those bottles again unless he was involved in the drinking of them. So how many of those bottles of wine have you tracked down and now have in your house? Uh, in my collection, that wine, I probably have about 60 bottles. <laughs> Figures. <laughs> yeah, you get that taste and you wanted it back and again and again. <laughs> That's, like I said, it's, 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 yeah, I guess it's, it's pretty much all my dad and mom. My mom's a great cook. My dad, like I said, was just eager to be a great cook. So I learned a lot more of the methodology and the thinking behind improving from him. And my mom is was just a naturally great chef. I, 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 I never remember asking for anything in my house as weird as it was. Like, I heard about fondue. I wanted to try fondue. Two days later, my mom was making fondue in our house for me. That's awesome. So yeah, that's, awesome. That's, just, that's just the world I was raised in, and it's how I think. So now, how much, when you guys are putting together recipes as you're putting these beers together, do you have that in mind, like a food pairing with a beer when you're putting things together? Or like the, the profile for the beer, how it would match up with different foods? Does that go through your head with everything? Absolutely. There's, there's a couple different ways to get to a beer. Sometimes I'm composing to match a food. Sometimes I'm deconstructing a food as a beer, right? So two examples of that. We have BDG which I'm not going to bore you guys with. If anybody wants to watch the TED Talk I gave, the middle three minutes or BDG and how it came to be. But that was me trying to solve for some of the universal food problems in beer. Like malt, malt sugar doesn't do very well with fermented products like soy sauce. So that's why you're just, when you're at a sushi bar, they try to give you the most boring beer they can, Asahi Super Dry or something. Um, so we went for a very dry but brown malt profile, kind of like bread crust. We went with this French herb called Aramis that smells like herb de Provence. And we, we're just trying to go for a kind of universally sit next to the plate. Doesn't matter if you're frying a burger or boiling a pound of pasta and putting a jar of sauce on it. You want a beer, it's just to be that. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got something like decoy, which is a duck dish, a chef named Daniel Hu makes it a restaurant in New York called 11 Madison Park, where he had paired it with some figs. I'm aware in the back of my head that one of the dominant flavor profiles in a Belgian quad is figs. So we took the Belgian yeast out to get rid of the banana and clove and put Chico yeast in to clean it up so it would just be that figgy, rich quadness. And then we spiced it with his five spice rub from his duck. And we called it decoy, right? So one's a decomposition of a dish that exists, and the other is a composition to complement dishes that exist. That's yeah, it's kind of one of those things you get done. I'm like, wow, that, that that's what's really impressive to see that because you know the whole thing now. A lot of people are getting into the beer dinners and all that, and and you see people. I feel like a lot of times don't really look as deep into the dishes as they should. They just see oh, something sweet, go with the stout, blah blah blah. You know the generic things, and it's nice to hear someone really you know really getting into all the flavor profiles and then taking that and thinking about the beer with that in a totally different way. And that's what I'm saying. You can really tell your passion is a, a foodie background coming through with all the stuff you're putting together. Uh, thank you. It's uh, it's just how I think about things. But it's, how, it's 
Believe it or not, it's how I think of right now. You've caught me at the tail end of a hike I was doing with my boys. I'm actually <laughs> walking alone on a path in the woods right now. <laughs> Don't fall. Uh, that my, would not be good radio. <laughs> uh, my boys and my wife are about a mile ahead of me now. I was like, you guys go ahead. Daddy has to make a call. <laughs> but um, but right now, just, just the air I'm, I'm breathing while I walk, it's, it's got a perceivable sweetness. It's got a perceivable saltiness because I'm right by the ocean. And it's just how I think about things. It's some weird OCD that I have that most people don't. Well, no, we appreciate it. <laughs> now, now, did you uh, did you grow up in New Jersey? Yeah, actually, my, our brewery is two miles from my mother's house, my house, my partner Chris's house, and our uncle's house, which is the house my dad was raised. Because um, I've had a bunch of your beers. I grew up in New Jersey. I grew. Up, I was born in Point Pleasant and lived in Brick right for a long time. And there's a lot of Jersey in your beers. Uh, from <laughs> from your clam, the clam digger. I mean, you use the actual <laughs> like salinity from. Because if anybody's had you know a bagel or any kind of bread down there, you get that natural salinity from the water, and that's what makes it better. The best bread in the history of mankind. And you're totally kind of, it is right. And you get you're getting a lot of that Jersey in your beers. Do you think the, is that planned or is it just kind of the water? I know the whole. Thing. It's in the water. Well, it, well, it's the water. So there are beers we will use brewers' salts on to tweak in certain directions. And then there's beers where we completely use the water clean because we want the water's inherent. Our, so our part of Jersey, we're on a different water table than Point Pleasant. We have a little more iron-rich in our water. You guys are a little more deciduous pine down there. Yeah. Um, so for, our, for us, so boat... Like, if the, even if Carton Brewing ever blows up, everybody always asks, what happens? If Carton Brewing ever gets huge, I don't think we could make a huge brewery on this water table, which would mean Carton Brewing would probably make all the beers except Boat and BDG. Boat and BDG have to be made on the Monmouth County Lingcroft water table because the water is just exactly right for that. Now, Digger's another one of those, but Digger's just a fool-around beer. So many people don't understand Digger. I only make it when my partners let me because it's my favorite of our beers. It's, all, it's awesome, man. <laughs> it's it's but, what I want to drink when I'm uh, all day instead of water. Right. Well, that's, that's it's the, the feeling is supposed to be that from the first sip, you feel like you've had a whole fun day of drinking in the sun, right? Yeah. My favorite critique of Digger is people are like, I don't taste the clams. And as a Jersey Shore guy, <laughs> as a Jersey Shore guy, you know as well as I do, if your clam tastes like clam, you're about to be sick. Yeah. <laughs> your clam is supposed to taste like salt water. <laughs> uh. And there's all these wonderful knuckleheads throughout the world getting like, doesn't taste anything like clam. And I'm like, that saltiness and that stoniness, that's the clam. Yeah, yeah. People, <laughs> people don't know, man. But, but I, I just love it, right? Because you want to say to them, if you ever, somebody feeds you a clam and it tastes like clam, Get it out. Yeah. Run away. Yeah. You don't go into a, you don't go into a butcher shop or a fishmonger and go, ooh, it smells really fishy in here. This is going to be fantastic. I'm not, I'm not buying that tuna. It's no. seawater. So, Augie, with everything you're doing, like, do you see like where do you see craft beer going as everything is happening with like changing palates? Like, do you think it's going to be more accompanying better food, kind of a gateway to understanding more, or do you see it as kind of like that little partner with everything? Because that's you know, as we're getting into craft beer and palates are changing, people are becoming more perceptive to maybe flavor profiles they had no clue of because, you know, they're hearing about it in beers. Like, how do you see that changing as it keeps moving forward? Um, I think craft beer is a byproduct of a national kind of change in awareness. 
I, uh, I think about my own family kind of generationally, my grandfather, my father, and myself, right? My grandfather was a Depression-era guy, picked himself up by his bootstraps from a father who went broke in the Depression, got himself through college and law school on scholarships, raised his kids better off. For that guy going out to eat was giving his wife a break from cooking. It was nothing done for any joy. It was Friday night, and they would go out to Howard Johnson's to get fried chicken in a basket just so my grandmother didn't have to cook, not because it was a special treat. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. how they viewed food. And that's that chicken-in-every-pot approach to the 50s and 60s where beer became a chicken-in-every-pot, right? The way to get a chicken-in-every-fridge is to make really shitty beer. Real quick, we're on live radio. Just see us on a podcast. Sorry, <laughs> guys. It's on, man. It's Hit that button. I, I just saw your face go bright red. We're good. We're good. Go I ahead. apologize. No, it's all right. I, I can try not to do that. I can try not to do that. Like I said, I'm walking through the woods. I'm pretty chill right now. Oh, it's all right. But, um, but anyway, and then in my dad's generation, they kind of took ownership, and, and people started looking for more experience for flavors, you had cooks step up and start opening smaller, good restaurants. And certain regions have one great restaurant in the middle of the region and then one good restaurant per town and then 10 pizza places per shopping mall. You know what I mean? And that becomes an advancement. And I remember my father having an awakening to the difference between this kind of pan-Italy Italian food and the regional cuisine of northern Italy. That all happened in his generation. And in our generation, that's even farther, right? You know people that have a preference for Greek or Spanish olive oil, right? This is, this is just a generation of flavors and the way the world is reacting. And beer is just as much a part of that as anything else. Just like people now know the names of grapes. When it used to be white or red wine 40 years ago. Yeah. So it's just the natural progression. Where I see craft brewing going... Is so one of I don't know if you guys know, but we have a podcast. John Hall of All About Beer Magazine and I do a weekly hour where we rant about beer together called Seal This Beer. But on it, I'm always pushing the notion that there's there's no such thing as an IPA whale anymore. There just can't be. Every region has at least one, if not five guys, making a really exceptional IPA. So no one is more cherishable than the other. The freshest one, the the one that uses the hop you like best is the best one for you that night. And that can change every night. As there's now 4,000 brews in America, it's getting better. So I think well, the actual change you're going to see in craft is everybody's going to have a great local brewery. Just like at this point, most everybody has a great local bistro. Right? So in most areas of America, you've got your Applebee's Friday's level bistro. Then you've got the local guy who makes a better version of that menu. And then in a certain wider diameter, you've got the good restaurant where a guy is fooling around and trying to make things better and more interesting. You know what I mean? And I yeah. see that being the next wave of crap. You will have the big guys like your Applebee's, which is going to be your, your good crafts like Sierra and Stone that are kind of everywhere and making better food than the McDonald's that is Budweiser. Then you're going to have the local guy that makes the beers his community really likes because he's local and that's what they like. And he's going to make your barrel stouts and your IPAs and your double IPAs and whatever. And then more kind of spread out for every 10 of those, there's going to be a guy that is just completely out there like us trying to just, you know, 
see what the heck can be done. And it'll be that natural progression that exists in all cuisine. It's not just a beer-specific thing. And I think it's kind of a conceit to treat beer as precious, unique, and on its own path. Yeah, I, w- I was actually talking about the same exact thing about a month ago. Me and my friend were just talking about the future of beer in a podcast, and, and it was the same thing. It's like, gets so big to the point where all these, like you said, not even just IPA whales, just whales in general, everybody's going to have that in their, in their, in their town. It's going to almost expand to where it becomes smaller and more, more like regional. No one's going to be beer trading for this huge one over here because they want it, maybe to try something new. But um, it, everybody will be making these great beers. So many good breweries out there, so many creative people, it's going to get bigger to actually become smaller or more regional, which I think is um, uh, that's the best way things are going to go perfectly, yeah. honestly. But, but, but like I said, and, and exactly to what you're saying, it's just the way things work, right? There, yeah. there was this explosive industrialization with things like Walmart in every part of American life, and now there's been a pullback from that, and you know, everybody was sure Amazon would destroy bookstores, and largely they destroyed bookstores. But there's still a bookstore everywhere, and it's a better bookstore than it was 20 years ago. Because of that natural progression. Yeah, steel sharpens steel, so when you come up against something that's going to, you know, not threaten you, but, uh, you know, someone produces something, you're going to adjust and, and change and produce a better product. And yeah, that's, and that's, how, you, that's, that's how you win. That's ideally what business should be doing with each yeah. other. It's, it's not uh, winning, it's kind of making everybody better is what the end game should be. It just doesn't always go that way. Well, I know, it's, it's a whole other topic. It's, 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 it's like anything else. There's a thousand ways to approach it. If you're in business... Your job is to make a product and sell that product. If you believe your way to sell your product is by undermining somebody else's product, you don't have a good product. Yeah. Nope. Um, if you believe your way to sell your product is to get your product out to people and see what they say, you know, I'm not saying there's no nefarious things going on in different businesses. Of course there are. But the truth is, beer is, beer is just such a easy, fun thing, and, and the more community it gets, the more that it'll be bulletproof of that kind of event. I completely agree. That it's, it's great to hear all that. Like, Augie, we are now at, at the break, and unfortunately, we're cutting this one off, but... Uh, well, my I, pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, not a problem. I thank you so um, much, Augie, and we have so much more of your beer. Somebody shoot me an email. Tell me what you thought of the beers. We never got to that. We, we will. Yeah, we, we actually, <laughs> as we were doing it, we opened up the BDG. We didn't get a chance to talk to you about it, because... Unfortunately, with well, live radio. All right, let's sign off with this. If it's working perfectly, it's largely bread crust with some herbs sprinkled on it with tiny little <laughs> notes of coffee and chocolate. Bon appétit. <laughs> it's, it's Perfect. Actually, you should just call up and sum up every one of them, Augie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank we'll you so much. You later, We're all going to go out there and visit you sometime soon, too. I've right. already been out right there multiple times. Cheers, brother. We'll talk <laughs> to you yeah. soon. See you soon, guys. Have a good one. Uh, all right. So, good time. Augie is a wealth of information about a phenomenal beer, and we have even live more. Live radio, baby. Yeah, it's a good live time. Radio. Love, love live radio. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and finish off the rest of these carton beers. Keep tuning in on Beer Geeks, W-I-L-K. Your dad is stubborn and living with pain because he heard nightmare stories about the recovery after surgery. Let the caring staff at Dunmore Healthcare Center put his mind at ease. 
Dunmore Healthcare Center offers a pre-registration program that allows you to plan for your rehabilitation prior to a surgery. You and your dad can meet with the physical therapy staff and have all questions answered so that the treatment plan meets your dad's needs. He'll get to see the kind of red carpet service they provide and it will help motivate him to get home quickly and safely by working through his rehabilitation. Once he understands the kind of personalized care that Dunmore Healthcare Center will provide, maybe your dad will be a little less stubborn about getting surgery anyway. Schedule a tour today. Dunmore Healthcare Center. Personal attention, proven results. For more information, call 570-505-5919. That's 570-505-5919. Or visit saberhealth.com today. This is a life-changing message for anyone with sleep apnea who is on the go and tired of dragging around a big, bulky home CPAP device. CPAP.com now offers a portable device that's as small as a soda can and weighs less than a pound. For even more freedom, you can add a battery that's as tiny as a deck of cards. It's called the Transcend Mini CPAP, and right now you can try it risk-free for 21 days by calling 1-800-504-6939. Transcend is the world's first portable mini CPAP device. It gives you the freedom to sleep in total comfort anywhere you are. Transcend's smallest and most advanced portable design ever. The mini CPAP is so small and so light, you can fit it in your briefcase or purse to use anywhere you go. It's FAA compliant too, so you can even sleep comfortably while flying. Enjoy the freedom to sleep comfortably anywhere. Call CPAP.com now for your 21-day in-home trial. 1-800-504-6939. That's 1-800-504-6939. Few things matter more than convenience, especially for seniors. Looking for easier living with all the convenience of downtown? Here are two opportunities for you. Designed for seniors and the disabled, you'll be happy to call home one of these living spaces close to shopping, restaurants, social activity, and places of worship. Washington Square Apartments is a high-rise in the heart of Wilkes-Barre at 163 South Washington Street. It offers reduced rent and cable TV costs with all utilities included. The Courtright Cottages on Courtright Street offers two-bedroom, two-bath apartments for rent to seniors 62 and over. This is Wilkes-Barre's newest neighborhood. All units are carpeted and offer free parking in a one-car garage. Find out more about this equal opportunity housing today. Downtown Living at 823-0127. 823-0127. This is WILK, powered by Sherwood Chevrolet in Tunkhannock, PA. Stop by Sherwood to view full lines of Buick, GMC, and Chevrolet. Bouncing Souls. This is a good day. We got some good beer, really good music going. This is a Sunday. This is what is, I would call a Sunday fun day. It is um, one of the more funner, funnest, funnerier The most Sundays. funnestest of them all. There it is. <laughs> right, George? Yeah, I guess. I oh, mean, I, I just go with Sunday fun day. I haven't gotten to make fun of your headphones. <laughs> you could. They're, they're green and black. They're... Are you getting ready to take off soon? <laughs> <laughs> I have a Halo tournament. Oh, well. Well, we got to get you home to show. Uh... Yeah. It's the best <laughs> game ever. Some games. You can <laughs> All right. So we are continuing on with this because, like I said before, we have a lot of cart and beer to work through. Not that it's a bad thing at all. It's a great problem to have. Is yeah. If there's one brewery you want to have too much of their stuff, this is the one. It's a hard job. Yeah. So uh, we cracked open some Tharsis, which is a chili saffron saison. 
Now, if you listen to the interview with the Augie, you get you know what's going on as they're putting these kind of things together. I mean, that's definitely something with the flavor profile that there's some thought process put into it. Because you're putting saffron in a beer, it's a very delicate spice. Dude, uh, man, the fact that they even get saffron in the beer mm-hmm. and get taste out of it. It's very pungent. I don't know if anybody's ever worked with saffron before. It's very pungent. What club um, was that spice? What? Sorry, that was just... Oh. <laughs> oh, uh, but um, it is by far the most expensive spice oh, yeah. in the history of mankind. Like, if you go to Wegmans, they keep it in lock and key behind the counter. You That's where you get the saffron. It's like... They keep it in their lock and key? I didn't realize Yeah, that. It's, it's that expensive. For, like, a pound of saffron, it's thousands of dollars. So you're making this beer with saffron that it, it, you're you're showing dedication because you can't charge an exorbitant amount of money for a chili saison. Well, you, you can, but you normally yeah. buy it. That's the, so <laughs> just the fact that they're doing that is amazing. I mean, the chili heat in there is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and against the saison, too, which is nice to have that play. Yeah, and it's a delicate beer, but this is not so delicate, but it works. Yeah. You know, it's delicious. No, I love it. That's a, when I called in last week, I was saying that's the saison style, as we've said on here before, is one people love to experiment with, but it's a great one to experiment. But... The key when you're experimenting with with pretty much anything, really, but I mean with the Saison, is you have to make sure you have a well-brewed Saison on its own before you start tinkering with it because you can really, if it's not good to begin with, I don't care what you throw into it not going to save it. It's kind of like, you know, the whole, you know, pale ale, like small beer, you know, it, it can't be done wrong because you can't hide anything. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people take Saisons and they go a little bit off kilter with them, which is a beautiful thing, but you can't hide anything that's even in that beer that's off kilter. So you got to be so precise with it. I mean, talking to him, he obviously knows what he's doing. He's yeah. into food. He's into food pairing and combinations. So, I mean, he already gets what's going to work, which probably helps uh, a billion percent in the actual yeah, brewing process. And to be able Able to kind of uh, backdoor put the the recipes together as he was saying, you know, going off a dish and then formulating a beer, you know, off of that, it really helps you get an understanding then of how those two things play together, because you're you're deconstructing it in in a different way than instead of just saying I want to make a beer that tastes like this and then deconstructing. It. You're like I want something that goes with a dish like this, deconstructing that and then basically deconstructing a beer to go around that and have those flavors meld together, which is a totally different way of thinking. That's why I said you can tell he has a chef kind of mind with it. Like yeah. it, it really seems like if he didn't get into this, that's where he would be at. He'd be in some restaurant cooking somewhere because that, that's just how those two things play. And you, you see that passion coming through with the two, that it's not just trying to experiment for experiment's sake or trying to be quote unquote weird or different like this is this is just natural for them yeah and one of the most interesting things that he said in the interview for me was when he was talking about pairing beer it was not just pairing beer it was making a beer with omissions to, with the food making up that omission in the beer like he said yeah. I'm gonna make a Belgian beer that has figs in it let's remove that flavor from this beer and then ha- produce a fig-heavy dish. That way that fig is replacing the flavor that was supposed to be in the beer. So to, to go to that level, you don't see a lot of breweries do that. Yeah, yeah. It, It's kind of kooky in, a, in an awesome way. Yeah, because it, it shows that there's a desire instead of making a beer. Because even as we were talking about the whales, because, I mean, you know, O-Dub for them. And, oh, yeah, I should actually say, because we haven't said the actual name. Like It's abbreviated as O-Dub. It's O-77-X-X. That's what you – so if you go somewhere – and you don't see a can. It says O Dub. It's it's O seven seven XX. That's what it's called. But that's become a very sought after beer in a lot of places. People are trading to get it. It's one of those ones going to the black market. And the one thing I, I didn't get a chance to talk to him about, it, but he did an interview a while ago and was asked kind of about the black market beer thing and stuff. And uh, I don't know what beer it was, but they had one that came out that was a limited release. And within basically hours of releasing it, they started seeing it popping up online. People were selling it for two hundred dollars. 
So what he did was he took stuff out of the brewery and gave it to a friend and said, flood the internet with $20 versions of this and get those people out of there to just knock them down. Because that's where, because that's where I think a lot of people have issues from breweries. is isn't so much that people are trading for their beer and maybe, you know, there's, there is something to be said about they're not in control of it anymore. Once it gets into someone's house, they could be storing it in their heater for three months. Yeah. And then someone gets it and it's garbage. But it's also that they don't want people price gouging just because they're a smaller brewery and don't have a, a huge availability yet. And that's where I think you see a lot more anger about what's going on than people just simply trading. Which was awesome. I want to talk to him about, it, but it's just—it's tough when we're on the radio because we have a limited time. limited time, and we're always up against something. Which you cut me off last week. And <laughs> hey, we, hey we had, we're up against it, man. We're up against it. So we just uh, cracked open another one. This is Gorp. Good G- old raisins and peanuts. That's what it's an acronym for. Good old raisins and peanuts. It's uh, they're considered a trail ale, but that—that's really what it's a take on. It's just a whole trail mix type thing. It's—it's kind of got like a English brown ale type. Feel to it's a, it's a it's a bigger brown ale feel to it coming through. It's a, if if a, a, a porter, um, a big porter, and an English ale had a baby. That's what this is for me, and it's absolutely delicious. This is I would I would say this is a porter, and I would say if it was a porter, it is my favorite porter I've ever had in my life. Yeah, it's, it, that's what's interesting too with a lot of like I love seeing that because that's where you see limitations when brewers are trying to stay within BJCP guidelines, and they they wind up limiting themselves onto what they're doing. Because it's like if you just buck that trend and throw it out the window, and you can work with whatever, then there's infinite possibilities of what you can do with these things and have this come through as all different flavors and profiles and beers and some of that. It's not just stuck in a box, basically. Yeah, and like you said, it's not just throwing stuff against the wall and see if it sticks. Yeah. Actually knowing what works flavor-wise, what complements each other, and having a plan and being able to execute that plan. Yeah. You know, every we all have delusions of grandeur. <laughs> you know, when you can actually pull it off, that's uh, what we would call is uh, smarts or genius or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Something that's not Something. The, the, the Deliciousness. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just great to see. Like, the, I mean, it's awesome, too, because you hear it. And I remember even saying to someone we had, we were going to be doing Gorp, and they asked what that was, and I explained it, and they just got, like, a weird face. I'm like, you just, with your understanding of food and beer in a way that's not just, oh, stout and ice cream are great together. Like, there's so much more. So that's what I was, like, getting into with him, because, I mean, that's, you go to a lot of these beer dinners, and I'm not, you know, crapping on anybody that's doing it, because it's, sometimes it's tough. Like, I've been involved with them, too, and you're kind of at the last minute, and you got to figure something out, and you don't have that time. But realistically, you shouldn't be doing that then. Like, don't throw something together like that. Like, you put some thought into it. But if you have that understanding of the play between food and beer, like, you can really get some cool things that may sound really bizarre to, to have together in a beer. But when you know what you're doing... They work really well with one another, and this is definitely case in point. As I said before, it's this is eight point four percent. I don't get any of that. There's nothing coming through that makes it seem that big. No, it's it, it, it has a nice density to it. It's not thin. It's a kind of one of my uh, criminal things when it comes to porters. They can just be a little bit too thin. This this just I, I'm just saying this is absolutely fantastic. Like I've never had this before until now, and uh, I think I'm in love. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, he's a he's a goo over there. You're glowing. Yeah, I have, do have a glow. All right, moving on. Cause like I said, we have a lot, and this isn't even the last one. Yeah. Uh, we have Epitome. This is an Imperial Black Ale. So this is in that you know, whole black IPA thing, just a really big 100 IBUs in this one. 
10.3% ABV. So this is a big boy. This is definitely one in the black ale style or black IPA, Cascadian dark ale, whichever you want to call it, uh, is a is a divisive style to a lot of people. Because people that love IPA sometimes will see, oh, black IPA, they'll try it, and it's not what they're expecting. I love Cascadian dark ale. I like saying it. It's like when someone's a janitor, and they're like, I'm a custodial engineer. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. That's, that's actually the, the, the person that came up with that style. That's what he called it. And that's the only reason there's like loyalists. Like, no, that's what it's called. And it's like what matters is the drinker understands what's happening. Whatever you want to call it. You make sure that the person kind of has an understanding of what they're going to get. Whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. This is delicious. Really yeah, this is unbelievably this is, this good. Is you, this is your wheelhouse, Ed, right? Yes, it is. This is very good. <laughs> yeah. This is, uh, and the thing with um with your uh, 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 black IPAs or Cascadian dark ales are, is um a lot of times they're just hop forward porters, and that's not what this yeah. is. This is actually a no. The hops black in this are, are perfect. It's not because yeah. that's the, that's the problem with some black IPAs is the hop selection clashes with the the malt so bad, and like yeah, it makes you realize oh it's a you know dark IPA, but it doesn't go well together. Like these hops just kind of. It's interesting because, like, you, you take a sip, you get the dark malts, and then the hops kind of melt on your palate, like a good steak almost. Mm-hmm. Like, it has that just kind of melts on the back end. Like, a, like, it, like it was inside a chocolate candy to where it's, so you're mm-hmm. getting that chocolate, you're getting a little bit of that roast, and then it melts away, and then you yeah. get that nice little pininess a little bit, little dankiness kind of make me all tingly inside. Yeah, it, just, it's, <laughs> it really does taste like a really nice chocolate-covered hop candy. Yeah. Yeah, it's way too drinkable for ten. And a half. Oh yeah, no, that's well, ten point three. Yeah. For ten point three, you get no way too danger. Will Robinson beer, <laughs> yeah. danger. And these are in sixteen ounce cans too. So yeah. These are yeah, these are big boys. Yeah. These are ones that can really get you into trouble very quickly. <laughs> it's a good kind of trouble though. Oh yeah, it's one. It's, <laughs> it's, it's one a, of those destination beers. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, who is it that they call that? I can't remember. Was that in heavy? No, I don't remember what brewer that was. Everybody kind of blends into everybody over time. It's one big blur of yeah, I just, hops and malt. I remember, I, I remember like snippets of people, oh yeah, someone did say that at some point. I don't know who or when, but <laughs> that did occur at some point. No, this is unbelievable. And, and it's one, I would say too, if, if you've had black IPAs and maybe you don't like them or claim you don't like them, if you found this one and tried it, it would be the gateway one. Yeah. And, it's, and it's crazy because usually... You don't say that about the ones that reach double digits. Those usually are not the gateway ones. Those are usually the ones you build up to. But this is so drinkable, it doesn't come across like that at all. And, and it's um, you know kind of beating a beating a dead. I don't want to say horse. Um, Tofurky. It's um, <laughs> it's, it, it's we're uh, vegan friendly here on yeah, the show. It's um, the balance is insane. It's got a super creamy mouthfeel. The malt it, it, and hops are perfectly balanced. It's 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 it, they do. Clean, crisp, uber well-made beers. That's their calling card, and really good beers too. But the 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 cleanness on their beers is just outstanding. Oh, well, I just cracked open. We have finally somehow we managed to get here to the last one. So now this is the big boy. We say the the big one for last. This is regular coffee. That's what the beer is called. It's called regular coffee. It is an imperial cream ale. Now the cream ale style is one. I've gone off by a lot of times. Like I love a really well done cream ale. There's so much in that that is just really delicious, and it's just a super easy drinking beer. So I love when you get to see breweries just experiment with that and doing this. Now I say Imperial Cream Ale. This is 12% ABV. Cream ale is typically you're looking around three and a half, maybe five if you're pushing it with some, but typically you're getting very low sessionable beers. But this is an Imperial Cream Ale with coffee added. So you're having this really 
smooth coffee and a cream ale, which is just phenomenal. And they do other variations. They have Irish coffee. Is there another one? Is that the only other variant they do on this? Um, I don't know. I know Irish coffee, but I don't know what else beyond that. No. The best thing is they have all, oh, they have God. really fun descriptions on all their beers. And uh, yeah, if you if you want to know anyone about their their uh, beers, and if you go on Carton is it CartonBrewing dot com, I believe I should have pulled that up right in front of me, but I believe it's just CartonBrewing dot com. Um, they actually have videos about all of their beers. Yeah, CartonBrewing dot com, and you can actually find their hours to go visit them. We're saying like you know they're two hours away. It's definitely worth a trip down there. But there's videos on every one of their beers. Like you can actually get a good story, a background on it. You kind of get more than you normally do about a beer before you have it. But this is. Incredible. incredible. It's and it, it's so their, smooth. Their, and their description on this is um, is uh, sitting down having a regular coffee, eating a pork roll. Now, if you've never been to Jersey and you never had a pork roll, you might not know what the hell I'm talking about. But <laughs> when you're drunk at 2 a.m., you go to a diner and you get regular coffee and a pork roll. Man, that's what you do when you're in Jersey. And this is <laughs> bringing me back, man. I'm, I'm having flashbacks. Oh, this is. I, I've been on like a big coffee beer kick. Like I love seeing breweries experimenting with that and getting coffee added in and doing it really well and really focusing on what kind of coffee you're getting like that is an important thing you're not just throwing i don't want to throw a name brand but a mass-produced coffee you get in, in a metal can and you know you're not throwing that in like you're you're going out and you're seeking the right flavor profile of the beans to match with the beer you want to get through and like that's another understanding of food and beer working together 12 percent this is yeah which is even more dangerous because there is this <laughs> is unbelievably sessionable which is like so scary about this but it's, it's phenomenal. Like you get those nice cream things, like that, that cream ale base is coming through, and it just tastes like a, a nice coffee with a little bit of cream in it. Non-bittering coffee. But it's nice clear. Sweet, That's the other like thing, too. Vanilla. This is clear. This is not, uh, we're saying this, this is not a dark porter or anything. Like This is a cream ale. Like when you think of a cream ale, yeah. that lighter color variant of it, so it's not darkened at all with coffee or anything. So, I mean, this is just a really perfect way to end the show. This is delicious. This was another phenomenal time. Uh, next week, we are going to have Coronado Brewing Company on. We have head brewer Ryan Brooks calling in, and uh, we're going to really dive into everything that's to do with Coronado, another great West Coast brewery. Get out there. Visit Carton Brewing. Worth a trip. We'll be out there soon. Till next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers, baby. Cheers. Cheers.